0: It is March 29th, 2010, only two years to the end of the world, but still time for Quack Cast 42. Literature Update Il Bono, il Bruto, il Cattivo. I know, my Italian accent is worse than my French, but from the movie of the same name. In academics, it's publish or perish. I am glad I am not an academic. I just have to read the medical literature, not produce it, which is good, as I really had my Peter Principle moment when I tried my hand at research as a fellow. If there was a way to screw up a project, I found it. But, thank goodness... There are people who do clinical research and churn out papers, some good, some bad, and some ugly, ugly, ugly. None of my podcasts are, of course, definitive. They are my best effort to synthesize the literature of the time. But studies keep on coming, and occasionally I need to update the information in the podcast as papers are published that add to the oeuvre of a past topic. See, my French is better. So let's start with the literature, and we'll start with the good. First up, the notorious placebo effect. I have argued in quackcast Fine and elsewhere that there ain't no such thing as the placebo effect for any meaningful physiologic process that has an objective endpoint. The best you can say for the placebo effect is that it decreases the perception of pain more or less to the degree is your mommy kissing your boo-boo, and probably has the same mechanism. I don't believe in the placebo effect with the words believe in air quotes. See, I'm making quotes in the air as I say belief. Molly Wood over at CNET Podcasts talks about the literal net, where there's a subset of people who take everything said on the net as literal. No metaphor, no sarcasm, no humor. Captain Literal Net, these air quotes are for you. So let's look at a Cochrane review. Yes, I know. I have bitched about the Cochrane reviews ad nauseum in past podcasts and blog entries, mostly in reference to the influenza reviews by Thomas Jefferson et al. Meta-analyses have their issues, often because the number of included studies are small, and they include studies that have methodological flaws. As I always say, meta-analyses are beneficial if they support your prior held beliefs, but, due to their problematic nature, can be argued away if they contradict whatever you believe in. If you take five small cow pies and combine them, what you get, of course, is a larger cow pie. But there's confidence in large numbers, and if you combine the large numbers of cow pies, instead you get, well, a larger pile of cow pies. I guess this metaphor for meta-analyses isn't working. So, on to a Cochrane review entitled, Placebo Interventions for All Conditions. So, what is a placebo? Quote, in this review, we evaluate the effect of placebo in its narrow sense, as an intervention based on trials that randomize patients to a placebo intervention group and to a no-treatment control group, end quote. Not the broader definition beloved by scammers, the whole biopsychosocial interaction beloved by quacks and psychics alike. They looked for all the trials where there was a treatment group, a placebo group, and a no-intervention group. If placebo does have an effect, it should be more than the no-intervention group. Because placebo is not doing nothing, though I'd like to say that at home on the weekends. Sorry, hon, I'm going to placebo today rather than paint the house. You have to interact with the patient. And, to quote Stephen Novella, quote, These placebo effects include the bias of the researcher, the desire of the subjects to please the researchers and to get well, nonspecific effects of receiving medical intervention and attention, and other artifacts of the research process. When we remove all these biases and artifacts... Is there a real effect left behind? What most people think of when they think of placebo effect, a mind over matter, but real improvement. End quote. So, is placebo better than the natural history of the disease and the tendency of more extreme illnesses to improve over time? The famous regression to the mean. So, the Cochrane folks searched the literature and they found 202 trials. Investigating 60 clinical conditions. Them's good numbers. Of interest, they excluded three trials, and I am not certain which they are because placebo demonstrated harm. In other studies that specifically looked at adverse effects from placebo, there were no side effects. Big surprise. And they found? Cue the prairie dog. Da 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 da. No placebo effect. Quelle surprise except for perhaps a small effect, the boo-boo kissing I mentioned above for pain. That's the summary. So, that ends this quack ca- Oh, what? You want details? Okay, wish me luck. Like all meta-analyses, the statistical manipulations turn me into a Mr. Gumby. My head hurts. So if you see me in wellingtons with a handkerchief over my head, don't say I didn't warn you but let's give it the old community college try. They evaluated the effect of placebo on 14 different parameters, including type of placebo, type of outcome, blinding of observer, blinding of patients and treatment providers, concealment allocation, risk of bias, information to patients, and more. They massaged, that's the English pronunciation, they massaged the data every which way in an attempt to tease out some circumstance, any circumstance, where a placebo would work. And the results, quote, we found no statistically significant differences between the subgroups of trials with binary outcomes, end quote. As is often the case with the Crocker reviews, the reviewers were less than impressed with the quality of the studies, with only 16 of 202 trials having little risk of bias. They're a picky brunch, the Cochrane reviewers. I wonder if any of them ever found a wife or husband who measured up. This, by the way, is the bane of all scam trials. It is hard to do quality studies that remove potential bias so that neither the investigator nor the patient is aware of the intervention. They looked at the overall relative risk from placebo. If the relative risk is one, there is no difference between two groups. The overall pooled effect of placebo was a relative risk of 0.93. The pooled relative risk for patient-reported outcomes was 0.93. And for observer-reported outcomes, 0.93. Go 0.93. So, the overall placebo effect is close to nothing. We found no statistically significant effect of placebo interventions in four clinical conditions that have been investigated in three trials or more. Pain, nausea, smoking, and depression, but the confidence intervals were wide. Pain is, of course, the tricky one, given that the measurement is always subjective. And for something that is entirely subjective, if you say you are better, are you not better? If the tree falls in the forest then no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? It does. Bob and Ray proved that. But pain remains a tricky question. Quote, The effect of pain varied considerably, even among trials with low risk of bias. In 158 trials with continuous outcomes, with 10,000 plus patients, there was moderate heterogeneity and considerable variation in the effects between small and large trials. Trials? trials, end quote. They compared the trials concerning pain using the standard mean difference. Pain trials use different scales to measure pain, making comparisons between trials difficult. The standard mean difference is an attempt to overcome this problem. According to the Cochrane site, quote, we have several trials assessing the same outcome but using different scales, We use a standardized mean difference, SMD, to convert all outcomes to a common scale measured in units of standard deviations. But what is the interpretation of the standardized mean difference? That is a good question, and one that troubles statisticians and healthcare decision makers, end quote. And then they don't give an interpretation that I understand. So what the hell is the standardized mean difference? The bottom line is the closer to zero, the less the difference. The farther from zero, the more the difference. As the review says, a negative value indicates a positive effect of the placebo intervention. Medium would be 0.5, a small effect would be 0.2, a large effect would be 0.8. Quote, we found an overall effect of placebo treatments, standardized mean difference, negative 0.23. The SMD for patient-reported outcomes was negative 0.26, and for observer-reported outcomes, minus 0.13. End quote. Note the effects were slightly greater when there wasn't a patient evaluating the outcome. Key to all studies, you cannot believe what that patient tells you, especially if they say that, well, acupuncture helped. If you read the quack-nostrum-placebo studies carefully, It is common for those who thought they were receiving the quack nostrum to have better effects than those who thought they were receiving placebo, regardless of which arm they were randomized to. Quote, we found an effect on pain, SMD, minus 0.28, nausea, SMD, minus 0.25, asthma, minus 0.35, and phobia, minus 0.63. The effect on pain was variable, also among trials of low-risk bias. Four similarly designed acupuncture trials conducted by an overlapping group of authors reported large effects, SMD 0.68, whereas three other pain trials reported low or no effect, SMD minus -0.13). The pooled effect on nausea was small but consistent, quote. how small? The pooled SMD was minus 0.25. And for those that used a 100 millimeter visual scale of nausea, the decrease in nausea severity was 7 millimeters. Yep, small, teeny-weeny, and almost certainly clinically irrelevant. Tell me, if you were 97 on the nausea scale, would decreasing it to 90 really be all that much better as you hover over the porcelain hoping to vomit and end your misery? I don't think so. Quote, the effects of phobia and asthma were uncertain due to high risk of bias, end quote. Not surprising, as all the phobia studies combined had a grand total of 57 patients, and concealment of allocation was unclear, i.e. patients knew if they were receiving placebo or not. Asthma sufferers had the same issues with only 203 patients, uncertain blinding, and most of the placebo effect coming from one study, which is often the case that there's one study that has more impressive data that skews the entire meta-analysis. Quote, There was no statistically significant effect of placebo interventions in seven other clinical conditions investigated in three or more trials. Smoking, dementia, depression, obesity, hypertension, insomnia, and anxiety. Come to think that all my patients have those. But confidence intervals were wide End quote, Meta-regression analyses showed the larger effects of placebo interventions were associated with physical placebo interventions, i.e. sham acupuncture, patient-involved outcomes, patient-reported outcomes, and observer-reported outcomes involving patient cooperation, small trials, and trials with explicit purpose of studying placebo. Larger effects of placebo were found in trials that did not inform the patient that the possible placebo intervention, end quote. A nice way of saying that the worse the methodology, the better the placebo effects. But the more the patient is involved with the subjective outcomes, the better the effect of a placebo. And the less they know about the placebo, the less well it functions. Also, quote, larger effects of placebo were also found in the trials that falsely informed patients that the study compared two active treatments with no treatment. Again, the more the patient was involved with the outcome and treatment of the placebo, the greater effect. In the author's final conclusions, quote, We did not find that placebo interventions have important clinical effects in general. However, in certain settings, placebo interventions can influence patient-reported outcomes, especially pain and nausea. Although it is difficult to to distinguish patient-reported effects of placebo from biased reporting, Hmm. The effect on pain varied even among trials with a low risk of bias from negligible to clinically important. Variations in the placebo were partly explained by variations in how trials were conducted and how patients were informed. End quote. It's no better than your mama kissing your boo-boo. In the discussion, they say, quote, However, Our findings do not imply that placebo interventions have no effect. We found an effect in patient-reported outcomes, especially on pain. Several trials of low risk of bias reported large effects of placebo on pain, but other similar trials reported negligible effect on placebo, indicating the importance of background factors. We identified three clinical factors that were associated with high effects of placebo, physical placebos, patient-involved outcomes, and falsely informing patients that the trial involved the comparison of two active treatments and no treatment, end quote. So I guess if you're treating a patient and you want a placebo effect, it's important to lie to them. So, I stand by my podcast. There ain't no real effect of placebo for any real physiologic process, except perhaps a modest effect on pain. And I, for one, will stick with ibuprofen. My mother lives too far away to make my injuries all better with a kiss. Placebo is similar to nothing. As long as we are on the topic of placebo, what could be a more perfect placebo than homeopathy? Or a greater pile of fetid dingo's kidneys? I wonder if any homeopathic wackaloon would go to a bartender who operated under the precepts of homeopathy. The more the teeny, Mmm... Appletini, is shaken and diluted, the stronger it becomes, and the drink with not a molecule of alcohol is the most potent. I suppose AA or MAD would approve. That's Mothers Against Drunk Driving, not the Kids Humor Magazine. Now we turn, step by step, to a comparison of homeopathy and placebo. Are the effects of homeopathy greater to or equal to the effects of placebo? In this study, the authors found all the placebo-controlled homeopathy trials. Placebo-controlled homeopathy. Is that the Department of Redundancy Department or what? Anyway, these studies were compared to three placebo-controlled trials in real medicine. They figured that if homeopathy does have an effect greater than placebo, it should show up under these situations. So they found 25 classical homeopathy trials covering 16 diseases with a total of 833 patients, and the results were, quote, in 13 matched sets, the placebo effect in the homeopathic trials was greater than the average placebo effect of the matched conventional trials. In 12 matched sets, it was smaller. Considerable differences in placebo effects, defined as a 5% difference at minimum, was found in 10 match sets in favor of the homeopathic trial and in 9 match sets in favor of the conventional trials. On average, 1.6 homeopathic trials had larger placebo effects than the conventional trials. This hardly exceeds the number of 1.5 trials expected under the null hypothesis. Consequently, No difference in placebo effects could be found. So, to get to their conclusion, placebo effects in randomized clinical trials on classical homeopathy did not appear to be larger than placebo effects in conventional medicine. So, now we can conclude that the effects of homeopathy is equal to the placebo effect. Here's some logic. So since homeopathy is similar to placebo, and placebo is similar to nothing, then homeopathy is similar to nothing. We have a new law of similars. Yeah, I know it's something closer to the communicative law, but that's my new law of similars. Hanuman, take that. And now for something slightly different. As Mahatma Gandhi so famously put it, love the golf." hate the golfers I really enjoy playing golf but golfers are by and large a subset of the worst that the United States has to offer don't get me started and golfers are gullible copper and magnetic bracelets seem to be particularly popular in a sport dominated by old people with arthritis exacerbated by lousy swing mechanics you think Charles Barkley has a funny swing he has nothing on some golfers no wonder their joints ache. And it doesn't help that Arnold Palmer apparently shills for a magnetic bracelet. He has a favorite one, don't you know? Some of the bracelets I found on the interwebs were really, actually, aesthetically well designed. But do they have therapeutic effects? Next up, therapeutic effects of magnetic and copper bracelets and osteoarthritis. A randomized, placebo-controlled crossover trial. In this study, they had 45 people, small numbers, with osteoarthritis of greater than eight weeks' duration. They then wore either a commercially available magnetic wrist strap, a weekly magnetic wrist strap, a demagnetized wrist strap, and a coffer bracelet for four weeks, and switched bracelets every four weeks so that over the 16 weeks of the study, everyone wore each bracelet for four weeks. The first three bracelets were identical. The copper bracelet was physically different. While they tried to make sure that the patients were blinded to what they had, always an issue in studies of magnets when there is metal nearby. They do not mention in the study whether or not the patients believe they had magnets or not. And when they had the copper bracelet, they knew they did not have a magnet. And so over a 16-week period, each participant wore each bracelet for four weeks. They kept track of pain, stiffness, and physical function using standardized assessment tools. The result? The magnet, the weak magnet, and the fake magnet all had a mild improvement in all their scores. Now, when you make multiple measurements over time on people, often there is an outlier. One spike of data that looks significant, but is usually just the splatter you get when you do studies. The effect of randomness. Read The Drunkard's Walk for a more detailed explanation on how randomness rules our lives and can look significant. But the magnet looked better than the other interventions for the single measurement for reduction in sensory pain when they used the McGill Pain Questionnaire. And I bet if the study were to be repeated, one would probably find a different spike of significant information in the seemingly random data. Everyone got worse when they got the copper bracelet, when they knew they did not have a magnet. So what is the conclusion from the authors? Quotes, Our results indicate that magnetic and copper bracelets are generally ineffective for managing pain, stiffness, and physical function in osteoarthritis. Reported therapeutic benefits are most likely attributable to nonspecific placebo effects. However, such devices have no major adverse effects and may provide hope, end quote. I loathe the weasel words of that last sentence. It is unethical and dishonest for a doc to offer worthless interventions because they are safe and offer hope. Assholes. There goes my iTunes rating. No wait, I'm a doctor. Asshole is a clinical term for a specific part of the anatomy. My iTunes rating stands... But hear that Arnold? Bracelets don't work. And golfers, stop it. So that's the good, we move on to the bad, and wait till we get to the ugly. It is always annoying when there are good methodologic studies on a topic like, say, acupuncture. And then, after the good studies are published, researchers go backwards in their methodologic approach and waste time and money on a clinical trial that has inferior methodology. Recent studies have demonstrated that it is not too difficult to do a placebo control at acupuncture. All it takes is twirled toothpicks in place of the needle to fool the patient into believing they are getting needled and, by the way, get superior results with less complications. So, why do a study without legitimate, fake, I love that combination of words, acupuncture? I suppose because they can. Enter Acupuncture for Depression During Pregnancy, a Randomized Controlled Trials. The two lead authors had published a prior study in 2004 comparing eight weeks of active acupuncture versus active control acupuncture versus massage in 61 pregnant females. Pregnant males are excluded, damn their sexist ways, for eight weeks and found acupuncture superior to massage for depression. So they did a bigger study. 150 pregnant women, again excluding pregnant men, bastards, who were randomized to acupuncture specific for depression, acupuncture not specific for depression, or prenatal massage. The acupuncture was done as followed. Quote, Acupuncture specific for depression was tailored individually to address each patient's depression-related patterns of disharmony according to the principles of traditional Chinese medicine, and followed a published standardized treatment manual. Acupuncture not specific for depression was also standardized, and needles were inserted in real acupuncture points that did not address depression-relevant patterns of disharmony, according to traditional Chinese medicine. In both treatments... Points needled varied by person and by treatment week, and the points that were either forbidden or advised to use with caution during pregnancy were excluded, end quote. I wonder what those points would be. Don't stick them in the uterus? The reference is to a textbook I cannot access. But no fake acupuncture. And we know that real specific acupuncture is the same in most studies as non-specific acupuncture, which is the same as fake acupuncture. To continue, quote, to blind the treating acupuncturist, needling the patient was separated from the determination of which acupuncture point should be needled. Senior acupuncturists, with at least five years of experience, assessed the participants monthly and provided a prescription of points to be needled at each session during the following month. The senior acupuncturists were not told which treatment the participant was assigned Designed both acupuncture not specific for depression, and acupuncture specific for depression treatment prescriptions for each patient. Junior acupuncturists, the treating acupuncturists, with less than two years of experience, provided the prescribed treatments and did not evaluate the patient's symptoms or signs, pulse and tongue. Well, boy, there's a good way to find depression, and did not suggest prescribe or provide herbal remedies or massage. End quote. This seems to be, however, pretty good blinding. They measured depression with a 17-item Hamilton rating scale for depression, administered at baseline and at 4 and 8 weeks after treatment by raters blind to the treatment group. And they found, like the first study, that specific acupuncture was superior to both nonspecific acupuncture and massage, quote, Women who received acupuncture specific for depression experienced a greater decrease in symptom severity compared with the combined controls or control acupuncture alone. End quote. One can expect, according to the authors, a 40% response at 8 weeks from placebos, which has been seen in antidepressant versus placebo trials. The real acupuncture had a 63% response rate. So we have one, now two, outlier studies on depression done by the same group. It would be nice, of course, if this is repeated by another group for validity. How does this fit in with the state of art of acupuncture and depression? Well, in January of 2010, the Notorious Cochrane Review did a evaluation of acupuncture and depression. Quote, 30 trials with 2,812 participants are included in the meta-analysis. There was a high risk of bias in the majority of trials. Duh, aren't there always? There was insufficient evidence of a consistent beneficial effect from acupuncture compared with a wait-list control or sham acupuncture control. Dot, dot, dot. The majority of trials compared manual and electroacupuncture with medication and found no effect between groups, end quote. So why might this study have a beneficial effect where others did not? Is there something special about pregnant females? I'll let you answer that question in whatever smart-ass way you want. Or could there be a potential flaw in the studies? Quote, The expectations of the treating acupuncturists, but not the patients, was significantly lower for the group receiving acupuncture not specific for depression than the group receiving acupuncture specific for depression. This suggests that, whereas we succeeded in blinding the participants, the treating acupuncturists were not adequately blinded. End quote. So there exists an important flaw in this study. I can just see the junior acupuncturists going in to do the treatment, sighing and saying, okay, let's just get this over with. Or maybe not. Quote, To assess the difference between the provider expectations could account for the observed differential efficacy. The mixed effects of analysis were repeated after adding provider expectations as a covariate. This did not change the outcome. So small numbers of patients, potentially inadequately blinded, no fake acupuncture. Or perhaps all fake acupuncture, if you ask me. Now, I suppose that if acupuncture does relieve endorphins as part of being jabbed with a needle, and increased endorphins may help with depression, then sticking needles in people could potentially be a byproduct of acupuncture, although not mediated through the whole qi, chi meridian nonsense, although that does not explain the lack of effect in the nonspecific acupuncture group. Perhaps a similar study needs to be done using different placebos, fake acupuncture, and instead of a massage, inflicting some pain on the patient by flicking them on the ear. Who knows? This is an outlier study with at least two methodologic flaws that cast doubt on its validity. I would not be impressed by it based on the bulk of the literature on acupuncture and depression. But in the scheme of studies... Not convincing. And now, the ugly. Quote, In previous articles by this author and his colleagues in the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine, it has been shown that physical reality consists of two uniquely different categories of substance, one being electric charge-based while the other appears to be magnetic charge-based. Normally, only the electron-atom-equal-molecule type of substance is accessible by our traditional measurement instruments. We label this condition as the uncoupled state of physical reality, and that is our long-studied electron-atom-equals-molecule level of nature. The second level of physical reality is invisible to traditional measurement instruments when the system is in the uncoupled state but is accessible to these same instruments when the system is in the coupled state of physical reality. The coupling of these two unique levels has been shown to occur via the application of a sufficient intensity of human consciousness in the form of specific intentions. Part 2 of this article, in a forthcoming issue, explores the thermodynamics of complementary and alternative medicine, through five different space-time applications involving coupled-state physics to show the relevance of today's medicine. One, homeopathy. Two, placebo effect. Three, long-range, room-temperature, macroscopic-size-scale information entanglement. Four, explanation of dark matter equal energy plus possible human levitation. And five, (laughs) electrodermal diagnostic devices. The purpose is to clearly differentiate the use and limitations of uncoupled state physics in nature and today's traditional medicine from coupled state physics in tomorrow's CAM. End quote. No, this is not a homage to Transgressing the Boundaries Towards a Transformative Herumetics of Quantum Gravity by Alan Sokol, although you would sure think so. No, that was an abstract from... On Understanding the Very Different Science Premises Meaningful to Cam vs. Orthodox Medicine, Part 1, The Fundamentals, by William A. Tiller, Ph.D. You see, Tom Jefferson was right. The genius from Monticello, not the Cochrane Influenza guy. Ridicule is the only weapon that can be used against unintelligible propositions. Ideas must be distinct before reason can act upon them. This abstract is supposed to be the real deal. Now, for background, my undergrad degree was in physics. That was a long time ago. But I do retain some basic understanding of the world as it is understood, and I'm dorky enough to like to read popular accounts of advances in physics. And math doesn't scare me. Anybody know the time cube? Check out the time cube. I'm not saying that the author of the time cube is crazy. Oh, no. It's just that his writing reminds me of the literary production of all the schizophrenics and other crazy people I have seen over the years. Combine the time cube with medicine and you get this article. And if you say, huh, you are right. Now, I'm not saying that the author of On Understanding the Very Different Science Premises Meaningful to CAM Versus Orthodox Medicine Part 1 is crazy. I'm not. But it would have been nice if they had let a real physicist take a look at this paper before it was published in the Journal of Complementary and Alternative Medicine. He is quite the scientist. Quote, I have postulated the existence of a moiety from the domain of emotion. It is labeled deltrons these act as the coupler in Occasion 1 with the capability of going both slower than the velocity of light when interacting with the electric field of substance, as well as faster than the velocity of light when interacting with the magnetic information field of a vacuum-level substance, end quote. Finally, somebody finds something that goes faster than light. What happens if your warp drive is boosted? Quote, I have identified a third unique category of substance from the domain of emotion, an even higher dimensional level, but within physical space, Unquote. This guy is quite the discoverer. And he has this odd table where he compares and contrasts the two worlds, the physical direct space and time, and his opposite world of conjugate physical reciprocal space-time. He has, in the real world, electric monopoles contrasted with magnetic monopoles. He has allopathic medicine contrasted with homeopathic medicine. He has positive mass with negative mass. He has velocity less than the speed of light contrasted with velocity greater than the speed of light. He has positive entropy uh, contrasted with, hey, negative entropy. He has electromagnetism contrasted with Magnetoelectrism, and he has gravitation contrasted with levitation. There are more there on his compare and contrast list. I bet in his alternative dimension, Spock has a goatee. There's so much in this paper. Every sentence requires a snort of derision. But from the discussion, quote, The main point that this author has been trying to make with this article is that traditional medicine and CAM build their practices on two very different aspects of science, and they both need to understand that. I and my colleagues' experimental and theoretical research of the past decade have delineated these differences, that there are at least two unique levels of physical substance, not just one occupying the same general space in our physical bodies, but normally they are minimally interactive with each other. This leads to our normal uncoupled state of physical reality. The human acupuncture meridian equals chakra system functioning in the coarsest level of the physical vacuum in the space between the fundamental electric particles that make up our electric atoms and molecules is at the coupled state of physical reality. Using intention host devices, one can macroscopically condition a space the measuring equipment contained within that space and to some degree humans occupying that space to the coupled state wherein the two uniquely different kinds of physical substance begin to significantly interact with each other and the normal uncoupled state of physical reality is the material medium addressed by most orthodox medicine while the partially coupled state of physical reality is the material medium addressed by most of CAM. The theoretical construct invented by this author to understand the seemingly strange behavior of inorganic, organic, and living materials present in the coupled state of physical reality when human consciousness is utilized is as a significant experimental variable. It consists of two reciprocal subspaces, one of which is a space time, D space, while the other is a wave domain, R space, with some higher level dimensional coupler substance activated, blah, 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 he goes on. And you read it thinking, is he making any sense? What's he trying to say? I really can't figure it out. I know my puny little walnut sized brain is unable to comprehend the enormity of this unique description of reality. In the end, however, it seems to be an attempt at the physics of the secret the human consciousness, just by wishing it, will make it so. I can hardly wait for part two. So, we are done with QuackCast number 42. If you want to find more about my expanding multimedia empire, go to moremark.squarespace.com where you will find all things Mark Crislop because the world needs more mark crislep otherwise please go to itunes and write me glowing reviews and until the next quackcast stay healthy my friends and drink something better than doseckies